3. Be sure there are no dead limbs to blow off and wreck it during a storm. Be sure that the drainage is good, so that in case of heavy rains, the water will run off and not flood the camp. It is very important if your camp is along some river or stream to be high enough to avoid the danger of sudden floods. This can usually be determined by talking to someone who knows the country. You can also tell it by studying the previous high water marks in the trees. In case of floods there are always some wisps of straw, pieces of brush, etc. caught and held by the limbs of trees after the water settles back to its former level. It is a good chance to practice your woodcraft by trying to find them. Damp locations are very bad. The higher we can get, the drier it will be. We avoid both fogs and mosquitoes. Usually there is some prominent place that will give us a good outlook and where the breezes can reach us. There are both good and bad points in pitching our tent on the site of a former camp. As long as the former campers have not scoured the surrounding neighborhood for firewood nor have left a place littered up with all sorts of rubbish and garbage to draw flies and vermin, they may have fixed up things around the campsite to save us work and to add to our comfort and pleasure. Each case will have to be decided on its own merits. The three important things then are the water supply, the firewood supply, and good drainage. Next in importance to the campsite is the outfit, and the most important thing is the tent. For a party of four boys on their first camping trip, the best kind will be a wall tent. A tent, 11x14 feet will be large enough to provide sleeping quarters and to have everyone comfortable. A simple shelter of canvas outside can be provided as a dining room but this is more of a luxury than a real necessity. Canvas or duck is the common material from which tents are made. The standard 8-ounce khaki duck used in the United States Army will, for this size tent, cost about $20. This will include a fly, which is nearly a second roof to the tent. The best material for tents is balloon silk. It is much more waterproof than canvas and only weighs a quarter as much. It is also much more expensive. A tent can be made at home, which is of course the cheaper way. They can also be hired from previous campers or from some awning maker who is also usually a tent maker. A canvas tent without a fly will leak in a rainstorm if the roof is touched on the inside either by our hands or our clothing. It may be made partially waterproof by a coating of paraffin which has been previously dissolved in turpentine. The simplest and at the same time the warmest tent for an experienced camper who knows the tricks of the trade is a lean-to tent, one with one side entirely open in front of which a blazing fire may be kept burning. This is hardly adapted for boys on their first trip. However, another very good and very simple tent is the A tent used in the army. This looks like a V turned upside down. We can pitch it without the aid of tent poles by simply hanging it between two trees to which a rope has been stretched. The Hudson Bay tent, Trapper's tent, Forester's tent, Canoe tent, and a dozen others, including an Indian teepee and wigwam are all good tents for special purposes. The pictures show the different styles and all of them are designed for special uses, either for warmth or lightness in carrying or ease in pitching. If we go camping in summer and can have our equipment or duffley, as the woodsmen call it, carried by team, the wall tent will be the best one to take. Tent pegs can always be cut in the woods, but it is far more satisfactory to get them ready at home before we leave. If you do cut your own pegs, Select hardwood saplings to make them from and to further harden the points. Char them slightly in a fire. If you spend a few winter evenings at home making the pegs, it will save you a lot of time and trouble when you reach the camping ground. The best pegs are made of iron or steel. This is especially true when the ground where they are to be driven is hard or rocky. 
which is usually the case. Steel tent pins may be bought for six cents a piece or possibly the local blacksmith will make them for less. They should be a foot long. A sod cloth is a strip of canvas eight or ten inches wide fastened to the bottom of the tent wall. Its purpose is to keep the wind and rain from blowing under the tent. After the tent is pitched a ditch should be dug all around it to catch the rain and carry it away. The earth that is dug from this trench may be thrown on the sod cloth to hold it down. It is an excellent idea, if you are a beginner, to practice pitching the tent at home so that you will understand it better when you are in the woods. Besides this, you can try sleeping out a night or two to see how you are going to like it. When you reach your camping place, the first step is to clear the ground of all rubbish, loose stones, sticks and brush to have a clean floor. Then unpack the tent and fit the pegs of the two upright poles through the two holes in the ridge pole. Next raise the tent and peg the guy ropes on the four corners first. A little practice will show you how to do this. After all the ropes are pegged at a proper distance from the tent, they should be tightened and the tent made secure. Always plan to have a full four hours of daylight to make your camp ready. If the drive is a long one and you are obliged to get up very early in the morning, you will have to do it. That is all. I made my first camping trip when I was 12 years old. We had just reached the camping ground, and loaded our kit and sent the team home that brought us when bang, over the mountain across the lake from where we were going to camp. A terrific thunder shower came up and in a few minutes it was pouring. There was our whole outfit tent, bedding and food getting soaked because, instead of hurrying along during the day, we had fooled away our time trying to catch fish in wayside brooks that had never seen a fish and not realizing how important it is to make haste as well as hay while the sun shines. We quickly pitched the tent, not as it should have been pitched, but in a heap over the rest of our goods to keep out as much water as possible and then ran for a nearby barn where we spent a cold hungry night. Wetter but wiser, the next day, out came the sun and dried our things. But if the rain had continued we certainly should have been obliged to go home or at least to a farmhouse to stay until the weather cleared. We soon forgot our unpleasant experience but we have not forgotten the lesson it taught and that is not to waste time along the road when there is work to be done at the journey's end. Next to a good tent, the most important thing for the camper is a good bed. It is even more important than good food because if we sleep well, hunger will furnish the sauce for our grub. But if we spend the night trying to dodge some root or rock that is boring into our back and that we hardly felt when we turned in but which grew to an enormous size in our imagination before morning, we will be half sick and soon get enough of being an Indian. A canvas cot makes the best camp bed if it can be taken along conveniently. There is one important thing to look out for in sleeping on a cot. In my first experience of the kind, I nearly froze. I kept piling things on me until all my clothing and even the camp towels and tablecloth were pressed into service and was thinking about pulling some dry grass to pile on the rest of the stuff. Still I shivered until I discovered that the cold was coming up from underneath because there was nothing to keep it out but the single thickness of canvas. When I put one of my blankets under me, I was as warm as toast. Very often it is impossible to carry cops on a trip, and that is where a knowledge of woodcraft comes in. The softest, sweetest, Downiest bed in the world can be made with no other materials but those which grow in the forest if we know how. At least the tired camper will think it is soft and will sleep on it like a top and wake up refreshed in the morning. Perhaps if we had our choice we would prefer our own bed at home. But in the woods we do not have this choice. Most people call this a bed of pine boughs. Why I do not know as it never should be made of pine under any circumstances. The best wood for the bow bed is balsam. 
If this does not grow in the neighborhood, hemlock, spruce, or even cedar will do. To make a bed properly means a lot of work. The first step is to cut four straight sticks. The side pieces should be six feet and a half long and the end pieces three feet and a half. They should be notched on the ends with an axe and either nailed or tied together from saplings or from a tree that you have felled. Small balsam boughs should be broken off with the fingers and laid one on the other until the whole bed is filled with them. On this, the rubber blanket or poncho should be spread and the blankets over all. All the boughs should be shingled with the stems down to keep them in the best condition. This kind of a bed will require remaking every day. A better bed for the boy camper is made as follows. Take a piece of heavy bed ticking and sew it into a bag about 3 feet by 6 feet. When you reach camp you can make a regular mattress by filling it with whatever material is most easily found. Dry leaves, grass, hay, even moss or wet filler can be used if nothing dry can be found. But in this case the rubber blanket will be an absolute necessity. Of course it is much better to use some dry material. Be sure to have a comfortable bed. No matter what ideas you may have about cowboys and soldiers rolling up in their blankets and snatching a few hours sleep under the stars by lying on the bare ground, a boy who is used to a good bed at home will never have much fun out of a camping trip if he tries to sleep on the ground with a rock for his pillow. For a summer camping trip, one blanket is enough. You must learn to roll up in it. Lie flat on your back and cover the blanket over you. Then raise up your legs and tuck it under first on one side and then the other. The rest is easy. This beats trying to roll up in it. Actually, the common summer blankets used at home are not much use for the camper. These are usually all cotton. A camper's blanket should be all wool. You can buy a standard U.S. Army blanket, size 66 x 84 inches, for $5. They can often be purchased in stores that deal in second-hand army supplies for much less and are just as good as new except for some slight stain or defect. A sleeping bag is expensive but is excellent for cold weather camping. It is much too hot for the boy camper in summer. Do not sleep in your clothing, unless it is too cold, and dress, about as you do at home. If the blanket feels tickly, it would not be a great crime. No matter what the tenderfoot says who wanted you to sleep on the ground, to take along a sheet. I have never done this. However, at the end of this chapter, you will find a list of things to take with you. The campfire and the cooking fire should be separate. Almost anyone can kindle a fire with dry materials. It takes a woodman to build a fire when it has been raining and everything is wet. The boy's method of taking a few newspapers and a handful of brush or leaves will not do. First look around for an old dead top of a pine or cedar. If you cannot find one, chop down a cedar tree. Whittle a handful of splinters and shavings from the dried heart. Try to find the lee side of a rock or log where the wind and rain do not beat in. First put down the shavings or some dry birch bark if you can find it, and shelter it as well as you can from the rain. Pile up some larger splinters of wood over the kindling material like an Indian's wigwam. Then light it and give it a chance to get into a good blaze before you pile on any larger wood and put the whole fire out. It sounds easy but before you try it in the woods I advise you to select the first rainy day and go out near home and experiment. To make a fire that will burn in front of the tent all night. First drive two green stakes into the ground at a slant and about five feet apart. Then lay two big logs one on each side of a stake to serve as andirons. Build a fire between these logs and pile up a row of logs above the fire and leaning against the stakes. You may have to brace the stakes with two others which should have a forked end. When the lower log burns out the next one will drop down in its place and unless you have soft. 
Poor would the fire should burn for ten hours, with this kind of a fire and with a lento. It is possible to keep warm in the woods, on the coldest, night in winter. This is the way to build a brush lento. First cut two sticks and drive them into the ground. They should have a point on one end and a fork on the other. Lay a stout pole across the two forks like a gypsy fire rig. Then lean poles against the crosspiece and finally thatch the roof with spruce, hemlock or other boughs and pile up boughs for the sides. A brush camp is only a makeshift arrangement and is never weatherproof. It is simply a temporary shelter which with the all-night fire burning in front will keep a man from freezing to death in the woods. Any kind of a tent is better or even a piece of canvas or a blanket for the roof of the lento will be better than the roof of boughs. Be careful not to set the lento on fire with the sparks from your campfire. Mosquitoes have probably spoiled more camping trips than any other one thing. The best tents have mosquito net or cheesecloth fronts which may be held close to the ground by a stick on the bottom. Perhaps the easiest way to secure protection is for each boy to take along a few yards of cotton mosquito netting and by means of curved sticks build a canopy over his bed. A smoky fire called a smudge will sometimes keep the pests away from the neighborhood of the tent or if we build it in the tent we'll drive them out. But the remedy is almost as bad as the disease. As a rule they will only be troublesome at night and the net over our bed will enable us to sleep in peace. The most common dope used in the woods to keep off mosquitoes is called oil of citronella. It has a very pungent odor that the mosquitoes do not like and the chances are that you will not like it either. At the same time it may be a good plan to take a small bottle along. You may safely count on finding mosquitoes. No matter where you go or what the people tell you who live there. Perhaps they have never tried sleeping in the woods and do not know. Be sure therefore to take along some netting or cheesecloth to protect yourself against them. Everything that you can do at home to get ready for your camping trip will add to your pleasure when you get out in the woods. If any part of your kit needs fixing, fishing rods wound or varnished, your jackknife ground, your camera fixed, or if your clothing needs any patches or buttons, do it at home. No one ever does half that he plans to on a trip like this unless he does not plan to do anything. Take along a few books to read for the rainy days and have them covered with muslin if you ever expect to put them back into your library. If you have been putting off a visit to the dentist, by all means do it before you get out where there are no dentists. An aching tooth can spoil a vacation in the woods about as easily as anything I know of. As a final word of advice to the beginner in camping, let me tell you a few things that my own experience has taught me. A felt hat is better than a cap as it is sun and rainproof. Wear a flannel shirt and take one extra one. You can wash one and wear the other. Be sure to have a new shirt plenty loose in the neck as camp washing in cold water will make it shrink. Do not go around in gymnasium shirts or sleeveless jerseys. One of my companions did this once and was so terribly sunburned that his whole trip was spoiled. Two sets of underwear are plenty, including the one you wear. Take along a silk handkerchief to wear around your neck. Wear comfortable shoes. A camping trip is a poor place to break in new hunting boots or shoes. Take bandana handkerchiefs and leave your linen ones at home. If you have to choose between a coat and a sweater take the sweater and leave the coat at home. A coat is out of place in the woods. Khaki or canvas trousers are excellent. So are corduroy. An old pair of woolen trousers are just as good as either. A poncho is almost necessary to your comfort. It is merely a rubber or oil skin piece with a slit in it to put your head through. The right size is 66 x 90 inches. With it you can keep dry day or night, either using it as a garment or as a cover. When you are not using it you can cover it over your bed or food supply. Take along a good pocket knife and compass.
Better leave the revolver home. Also always carry a waterproof box of matches. You will require some kind of a waterproof, duffley, bag to carry your personal things toothbrush. Extra clothing. Mirror. Fishing tackle. Towel. Soap. Medicine. In fact whatever you think you will need. If it is your first camping trip you will come home without having had any use whatever for more than half the things you take. That is the experience of everyone. So do not become discouraged. If you camp within reach of a post office, address some stamped envelopes to your home in ink before you leave. Then you will have no excuse for not writing a letter home. You can make an excellent pillow by rolling up your trousers. Be sure to take everything out of the pockets first, including your knife, and roll them with the top inside so that the buttons or your belt buckle will not bore into your ear. If you fall overboard and come ashore to dry out, stuff your shoes full of dry grass or old paper to keep them from shrinking. When they are dry, soften them with tallow or oil. Everyone who goes camping at some time or other gets wet. The only advice I can give you is to get dry again as soon as possible. As long as you keep moving it will probably not injure you. Waterproof garments are of little use in the woods. They are always too warm for summer wear and by holding the perspiration, are more of an injury than a benefit. Never wear rubber boots in the woods or you will surely take cold. Better have wet feet. The best footwear is moccasins. If you wear them see that they are several sizes too large and wear at least two pairs of heavy woolen stockings with them. Ivy Camp Cooking How to Make the Campfire Range Bread Bakers Cooking Utensils The Grub List Simple Camp Recipes Most Boys, and I regret to say a few girls too, nowadays, seem to regard a knowledge of cooking as something to be ashamed of. The boy who expects to do much camping or whoever expects to take care of himself out in the woods had better get this idea out of his head just as soon as possible. Cooking in a modern kitchen has been reduced to a science. But the boy or man who can prepare a good meal with little but nature's storehouse to draw on and who can make an oven that will bake bread that is fit to eat, with the nearest range 50 miles away, has learned something that his mother or sister cannot do and something that he should be very proud of. Camp cooking is an art and to become an expert is the principal thing in woodcraft nothing else is so important. We often hear how good the things taste that have been cooked over the campfire. Perhaps a good healthy appetite has something to do with it. But it is pretty hard even for a hungry boy to relish half-baked, soggy bread or biscuits that are more suitable for fishing sinkers than for human food. A party without a good cook is usually ready to break camp long before the time is up. And they are lucky if the doctor is not called in as soon as they get home. There is really no need for poor food in the woods. Very few woodsmen are good cooks simply because they will not learn. The camp cook always has the best fun. Everyone is ready to wait on him, if he will only. Please get dinner ready. One year when I was camping at the head of Moosehead Lake in Maine, I had a guide to whom I paid $3 a day. He cooked and I got the firewood, cleaned the fish and did the chores around camp. His cooking was so poor that the food I was forced to eat was really spoiling my trip. One day I suggested that we take turns cooking, and in place of the black muddy coffee, greasy fish and soggy biscuit, I made some Johnny cake. Boiled a little rice and raisins and baked a fish for a change instead of frying it. His turn to cook never came again. He suggested himself that he would be woodchopper and scullion and let me do the cooking. I readily agreed and found that it was only half as much work as being the handyman. The basis of camp cooking is the fire. It is the surest way to tell whether the cook knows his business or not. The beginner always starts with a fire hot enough to roast an ox and just before he begins cooking piles on more wood. 
Then when everything is sizzling and red hot, including the handles of all his cooking utensils, he is ready to begin the preparation of the meal. A cloud of smoke follows him around the fire with every shift of the wind. Occasionally he will rush in through the smoke to turn the meat or stir the porridge and rush out again puffing and gasping for breath. His eyes watery and blinded and his fingers scorched almost like a fireman coming out of a burning building where he has gone to rescue some child. The chances are, if this kind of a cook takes hold of the handle of a hot frying pan, pan and contents will be dumped in a heap into the fire to further add to the smoke and blaze. When the old hand begins to cook, he first takes out of the fire the unburned pieces and blazing sticks, leaving a bed of glowing coals to which he can easily add a little wood. If the fire gets low and a watched pot refuses to boil to his satisfaction, when the fire is simply a mass of red coals he quietly goes to cooking, and if his fire has been well made and of the right kind of wood, the embers will continue to glow and give out heat for an hour. Of course, if the cooking consists in boiling water for some purpose, there is no particular objection to a hot fire. The fire above described is for broiling, frying and working around generally. There are all sorts of camp fireplaces. The quickest one to build and one of the best as well, is the hunter's fire. All you need is an axe. Take two green logs about six to eight inches thick and five feet long and lay them six inches apart at one end and about fourteen inches at the other. Be sure that the logs are straight. It is a good plan to flatten the surface slightly on one side with the axe to furnish a better resting place for the pots and pans. If the logs roll or seem insecure, make a shallow trench to hold them or wedge them with flat stones. The surest way to hold them in place is to drive stakes at each end. Build your fire between the logs and build up a cob house of firewood. Split wood will burn much more quickly than round sticks. As the blazing embers fall between the logs, keep adding more wood. Do not get the fire outside of the logs. The object is to get a bed of glowing coals between them. When you are ready to begin cooking, take out the smoky, burning pieces and leave a bed of red hot coals. If you have no axe and can find no logs, a somewhat similar fireplace can be built up of flat stones, but be sure that your stone fireplace will not topple over just at the critical time. If you only have your jackknife, the best fire is a gypsy rig. Cut two crow's nest sticks, drive them into the ground and lay a cross beside them just as you would begin to build the lean-to described in the preceding chapter, but of course not so high above the ground. The kettles and pots can be hung from the crossbar by means of hooks which are pieces of wood or wire shaped like a letter S, even straight sticks will do with two nails driven into them. These should be of different lengths to adjust the pots at various heights above the fire, depending on whether you wish to boil something furiously or merely to let it simmer. Do not suspend the kettles by running the bar through them. This is very amateurish. With a gypsy fire, the frying pan, coffee pot and gridiron will have to be set right on the bed of coals. An arrangement for campfires that is better and less work than the logs is obtained by using fire irons, which are two flat pieces of iron a yard or so long resting on stones and with the fire built underneath. The whole object of either logs or irons is to furnish a secure resting place for cooking utensils above the fire. There are several kinds of ovens used for baking bread and roasting meat in outdoor life. The simplest way is to prop a frying pan up in front of the fire. This is not the best way but you will have to do it if you are traveling light. A reflector, when made of sheet iron or aluminum is the best camp oven. Tin is not so satisfactory because it will not reflect the heat equally. Both the top and bottom of the reflector oven are on a slope and midway between is a steel baking pan held in place by grooves. 
This oven can be moved about at will to regulate the amount of heat and furthermore it can be used in front of a blazing fire without waiting for a bed of coals. Such a rig can easily be made by any tinsmith. A very convenient folding reflector oven can be bought in aluminum for three or four dollars. When not used for baking, it makes an excellent dish pen. The standard camp oven that has been used by generations of pioneers and campers is the Dutch oven. It is simply an iron pot on short legs and is provided with a heavy cover. To use it, dig a hole in the ground large enough to hold it. Build a fire and fill the hole with embers. Then scoop out a place for the pot. Cover it over with more embers and ashes and let the contents bake. For the boy who wants to go to the limit in depending on his own resources, the clay oven is the nearest to a real woodcraft. This is made in the side of a bank by burrowing out a hole, with a smoke outlet in the rear. A hot fire built inside will bake the clay and hold it together. To use this oven, build a fire in it and when the oven is hot, rake out the coals and put in your bread or meat on flat stones. Close the opening with another stone and keep it closed long enough to give the oven a chance. This method is not recommended to beginners who are obliged to eat what they cook, but in the hands of a real cook, will give splendid results. The reflector oven is the best for most cases if you can carry it conveniently. The kind of a cooking equipment that we take with us on a camping trip will depend on what we can carry conveniently, how much we are willing to rough it and what our stock of provisions will be. One thing is sure the things that we borrow from home will rarely be fit to a return. In making a raid on the family kitchen, better warn the folks that they are giving us the pots and pans instead of merely lending them. Very compact cooking outfits can be bought if one cares to go to the expense. An aluminum cook kit for four people, so made that the various articles nest one into the other, can be bought for $15. It weighs only 10 pounds and takes up a space of 10 x 12 inches. Such a kit is very convenient if we move camp frequently or have to carry our outfit with us. But for the party of boys going out by team it is not worth the expense. You will need several tin pails, two iron pots, a miner's coffee pot all in one piece including the lip two frying pans, possibly a double boiler for oatmeal and other cooked cereals, iron spoon, large knife, vegetable knife, iron fork and broiler, a number of odds and ends will come in handy especially tin plates to put things on. Take no crockery or glassware. It will be sure to be broken. Do not forget a can opener. Campfire utensils should never be soldered. Either seamless wear or riveted joints are the only safe kind. Solder is sure to melt over a hot open fire. The personal equipment for each boy should be tin cup, knife, fork, and spoons, deep tin plate, extra plate and perhaps one extra set of everything for company if they should happen to drop in. A lot of dishwashing can be avoided if we use paper or wooden plates and burn them up after the meal. The main question is, what shall we take to eat? A list of food or as it is commonly known, the grub list, is a subject that will have to be decided by the party themselves. I will give you a list that will keep four hungry boys from staying hungry for a trip of two weeks and leave something over to bring home. If the list does not suit you exactly you can substitute or add other things. It is an excellent plan for the party to take a few home-cooked things to get started on. A piece of roasted meat, a dish of baked beans, some crullers, cookies or ginger snaps. We must also consider whether we shall get any fish or game. If fishing is good, the amount of meat we take can be greatly cut down. This list has been calculated to supply a party who are willing to eat camp fare and who do not expect to be able to buy bread, milk, eggs or butter. If you can get these things nearby. Then camping is but little different from eating at home. Grubless 10 pounds bacon, half a ham, 
4 cans corned beef, 2 pounds cheese, 3 pounds lard, 8 cans condensed milk, 8 pounds hardtack, 10 packages soda crackers, 6 packages sweet crackers, 12 1 2 pounds of wheat flour, 12 1 2 pounds of yellow cornmeal, can baking powder, 1 2 bushel potatoes, 1 peck onions, 3 pounds ground coffee, 1 2 pounds tea, sack salt, 7 pounds granulated sugar, 3 packages prepared griddle cake flour, 4 packages assorted cereals, including oatmeal, 4 pounds rice, dried fruits, canned corn, peas, beans, canned baked beans, salmon, tomatoes, sweetmeats and whatever else you like. Be sure to take along plenty of tin boxes or tight wooden boxes to keep rain and vermin away from the food. Tell your grocer to pack the stuff for a camping trip and to put the perishable things in tight boxes as far as possible. If you are going to move camp, have some waterproof bags for the flour. If you can carry eggs and butter, so much the better. A tin cracker box buried in the mud along some cold brook or spring makes an excellent camper's refrigerator especially if it is in the shade. Never leave the food exposed around camp. As soon as the cook is through with it let someone put it away in its proper place where the flies, ants, birds, Sunday dust, and rain cannot get at it. Always examine food before you cook it. Take nothing for granted. Once when camping the camp cook for breakfast made a huge pot of a certain brand of breakfast food. We were all tucking it away as only hungry boys can. When someone complained that caterpillars were dropping from the tree into his bowl, we shifted our seats and ate some more. And, 